0: This is the On All Cylinders Podcast. Powered by Summit Racing. Your host for today is Summit Racing's Paul Sokolis, with special guest Tom Reed, president and CEO of SSBC USA. Here we go. Hello, uh, On All Cylinders Podcast folks. I am your host for this episode, Paul Sokolis, and we have got a very, very important topic on the docket today. And it's something that, quite frankly, uh, we should probably be talking a lot more about You know, it's easy to get excited about race cars and tire smoking acceleration and things like that. But, uh, you know, sometimes we forget that stopping is just as important as going. So to help stress how important that actually is, um, we brought on Tom Reed. He is president and CEO of SSBC USA, and he and his team know an awful lot uh, about how to make your vehicle stop. So, Tom, thank you for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me, Paul. Now, we're going to get into the nitty gritty of braking and brake systems, brake tech, stuff like that. But uh, before we dive in, tell us about you, man. How did you get into all this? How did you become a gearhead? And what led you to become the president and CEO of SSBC USA?
1: Well, I got into cars in my uh, early teens. My uh, uncle was uh, the owner of a local chain of tire stores, and he was also one of the celebrity racers at one of our small local racetracks. Uh, It was called Lancaster Motorsport Speedway or Lancaster Speedway as it was known and I would ride my bike over to his house when I was 13 14 years old and and work on race cars and to me that's the simplest form of working on a car I mean it wasn't a high class division it was street stocks so you had you know no exhaust system no catalytic converters not a lot of pre fuel injection so it was as simple as it could be so I got to be a, a motorhead doing that I spent most of my career I'm an engineer I spent most of my career in the heat transfer industry and uh, found an opportunity to get involved in brakes when uh, two guys, uh, my partners, David and Adrian, we bought the assets of a company that had gone out of business known as Stainless Steel Brakes Corp. We bought that in 2019, moved it to uh, another town and started up SSBC USA, resurrecting the brands SSBC and bringing that 40 years of brake technology over
0: with us. Well, hey, Tom, thank you uh, for doing the transition because now we are going to talk about brakes. Being the head of a of a brake company, your phone is probably ringing an awful lot with with customer questions and customer concerns. So, can you kind of start there and and explain to us what issues you and your team of tech folks commonly come across?
1: Well, brakes seem to be the last thing everybody thinks about. So, most of the questions we get are panicked questions. I just spent ten thousand dollars on new wheels and a lift kit, and. Uh, Now I can't stop my truck. What do I do? (laughs) Um, You know, I've got this classic car. I'm going to do a drum to disc conversion kit. Should I do it period correct or should I do it resto mod? So it's not really as much as you would think about the nuts and bolts of a brake kit. People kind of treat it almost as a black box. They know what they want it to do, stop their vehicle better. And a lot of times there's a premium on what it looks like now. Brakes have become an accessory for a lot of these people spending big money on either a restoration or an upgrade or a show truck or your average crazy Jeep guy who's spending way too much on his on his project car. So
0: <laughs> I have a feeling that is aimed at me, but uh, you know what? It is a Jeep thing. I will allow it. Now, a- as you're going to these events, as you are answering these phone calls, what would you say is the most common element of a brake system that folks are overlooking? Does it all come back to a single factor?
1: When you go back to you know, an OEM brake. So these automotive manufacturers are designing that brake system. for Say it's a a, a car, uh, like a Challenger or Charger. They're designing that brake system to work for a huge bell curve of people. Everything from a teenager who's heavy on a brake pedal and panicking to, you know, an older individual who drives 35 miles an hour in the left lane. And that brake system has to cover all those. So it, it usually does a very nice job of that at first. But the system is gonna degrade after, after you make that embedment into the braking pad, that system's gonna degrade from that point forward. So it was already kind of a stretch for some of these specialty applications or someone that drives a little bit more aggressive or someone who drives high miles. If you get outside that bell curve, your system's gonna not suit your needs faster. So when you start doing anything with these vehicles, the first thing that you should look for is, has the system changed? Did the pedal get softer? Um, Is it making some weird noises? You know, is there a vibration in the steering column? Is it pulling left or right when I brake? So the first thing you want to keep an eye open for is a change from the original system. And then you want to try to figure out what's going on from there.
0: So is that pretty common then the minute someone begins to modify their vehicle, whether it's the suspension geometry or the engine performance? All of a sudden, now that stock brake system that was designed to handle a stock vehicle is starting to become somewhat inadequate?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. A lot, some of that's, uh, you know, a factor of DIYs and not taking enough time to do it properly. Some of it is if you're taking an OEM system and replacing it with OEM parts, you're not necessarily upgrading that at all. And as we said before, the system's already started degrading since about day 10 of you owning that vehicle. So, you know, there are going to be issues until you
0: upgrade. So is there a specific red flag a vehicle owner can can look for as kind of an indicator that perhaps their brake system isn't up to snuff? We've described a couple symptoms, you know, pulling left, pulling right, you know, squishy pedal. But I'm just wondering if there's a single aha moment where someone can realize, whoa, I, I, I really need to upgrade something.
1: I mean, you can obviously look at the pads and see if there's excessive wear, um, you know, if they've already gotten into the squealers and they just chose to bend that back as, as a way of taking care of it, then that's probably a bad indicator. You know, we look for uneven wear of the, of the pads. And again, you can most wheels you can stick your head in and get a, a decent idea of what's going on in there. We look for gouges in the rotors. Obviously, catastrophic failure. We look for brake fluid on the ground is never, ever. You don't have to be an expert to know that. Brake fluid on the on the driveway is never a good sign. So there's a lot of little indicators, but again, it comes back to how much has the vehicle changed? Um, You know, is there something different than there was a year ago in it? Because of something that you did, you added mass, you added bigger wheels, you added more horsepower, change in driving styles, you know, you're taking it off road more, or is it just wear and tear?
0: So just to drive that point home, it doesn't sound like there's a single factor that, that one should pay attention to it could actually be a range of issues that that could draw attention to the fact that that your brake system is is not up to par
1: the ultimate red flag is it's not stopping as fast as you needed to stop anymore i mean that's the ultimate red flag you know squishy pedal could be caused by air it could be caused by a faulty uh, booster could be caused by a lot of things it's not necessarily going to be catastrophic cuz that's just a feel but if the car's not stopping anymore then that's the, the only really one true indicator that something has gone amiss.
0: Well, and if we're being honest, not being able to stop is a pretty darn big indicator. Um, so let's pick the conversation up there then. Say your phone does ring and the person on the other line says, yeah, I made some tweaks to my suspension. I added a supercharger. Now I'm making 80 more horsepower. And my car or truck just isn't stopping as well as I'd like it to anymore. What do you tell them? Is there a specific recipe or a progression of upgrades that, that you recommend? Well,
1: first, we, when we first start talking to them, we kind of determine two things. What their application is going to be, how are they going to use this vehicle, and how much they want to spend. I mean, you know, you can you can do a cheap upgrade. You can go and get better pads and rotors. That will make your existing system better. No matter what the case is, it will make it better, but will it make it good enough? You know, we'll use trucks as an example. Guys are taking, I used to say $65,000 F-250s, but let's say $80,000 F-250s, and they're adding $3,000 a wheel, and they're adding uh, 200 pound, 300 pound bumpers, and they're lifting at eight inches. You don't have to be an expert to know that that has changed the physics of the vehicle, which is gonna change the relationship between the road and the and the brakes. I mean, that is a lot of rolling mass when you go with those bigger tires. That's the most common complaint that we get. Is I went bigger on the tires because we do a lot in jeeps and we do a lot in trucks. I went bigger on the tires. Now I can't stop the vehicle. My brakes must have gone bad. No, your brakes were sized for a completely different wheel and a completely different center of gravity. I mean, you hit that brake on a on a what nine thousand pound truck and you've lifted it eight inches. Instead of 75% going to the front, now 90% is going to the front. So that brake has got to do a lot more stopping.
0: Since you brought up trucks, um, I wanted to ask this question anyway, and now's as good as time as any. So far, we've been talking about upgrading, modifications to the vehicle. But should someone consider their braking performance in regard to what they use the vehicle for? And again, thinking specifically of trucks, say someone bought a truck and now is doing an awful lot of towing or hauling with it. Does that fall outside of that bell curve that you alluded to earlier about a generalized customer?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. That's why before we said we start by interviewing a person. First thing we're going to ask them is, you know, what are you going to do with it? And, you know, we get a lot of guys that are pulling race cars, pulling haulers, pulling trailers. It's their daily work truck. So, you know, I mean, obviously we say you need a brake upgrade, a a caliper upgrade. So that's gonna involve changing the physics of that brake system. You can't just take the existing OEM caliper and tweak it or do something to get it to perform better. You need a bigger braking system at the wheel. So that would to us involve larger calipers and uh, better, larger pads. And we go with uh, an OEM diameter rotor for the whole reason that it'll still fit in that OEM wheel. So if this guy is not a show truck, he didn't go to 20s, he's got 35-inch OD tires, but he's still running on the stock 18-inch wheels. He can't just go and slap a massive caliber in there, it won't fit. So we talk to that person and then we try to fit him into exactly what we think they'll need and use. So in, in that case, that I'm giving you an example, it's got to fit in an OEM wheel, but it's got to add, you know, 30 to 50% stopping force. We call that our B8 Barbarian kit. It's a, an eight-piston aluminum fixed caliber. So we've actually switched the technology from a sliding caliper where you have a cradle bracket and and that holds the pads and you push on one side of that rotor with two pistons. That's the standard caliper that's on most of the three quarter, one ton, half ton. Oh, actually major vehicles, almost every vehicle has got a sliding caliper, at least on the front. Sometimes they have drums on the back. If they really need a lot more force, we go to what we call a fixed caliper where the only thing that moves are the pistons. But you've got a lot more caliper on the inside and the outside of that rotor.
0: Now, say, for example, a kit like yours, and I know you can't speak for for every kit out there in the market, but for a caliper upgrade kit like the one you're describing, is it a, a true bolt-on kit where you just fit the new caliper in, re-bleed the system, and you're good to go? Or are there other factors to consider for a kit like that, like uh, an upgraded master cylinder or different proportioning valve?
1: Yeah, I mean, we, we have to fight the urge to add as massive a caliper as we can because there are other system parameters. You know, if we go and in, instead of two 64 millimeter pistons, we add six 64 millimeter, you just wouldn't have enough booster, you wouldn't have enough uh, master cylinder, you just wouldn't have enough. So we optimize the system, we add as much piston area, which is, translates to force, um, we tra- we add as much piston area as we can. And then we get the biggest pad to apply that to that will fit on that rotor. That's the best way to get greater stopping force. But again, it's got to fit into that package of the wheel. We do not require any modifications of brake lines. And our calipers are actually what they call direct fit. You actually literally take the old caliper off with two bolts. uh, The new uh, three-quarter one-ton have four bolts. You take those bolts off, you reuse those bolts, ours bolt directly onto the knuckle, no shims, no brackets, nothing, directly bolts to them. And then you hook up the banjo bolt, and then you take your time bleeding. It's a massive caliper. It takes a lot of fluid. It must be bled carefully. And then you're ready to go. The only modification to the vehicle is because it's such a big caliper, sometimes we have to trim the uh, splash shields back. That's the total modifications that need to be done to the vehicle is open up the splash shields just a little.
0: Now, it seems like a lot of this conversation has revolved around late model applications, specifically trucks, but it almost goes without saying that there's plenty of opportunities for the classic car, classic truck owner to to upgrade their stock brake system. So let's dig into that topic for for a little bit. What can you tell those classic car owners uh, looking to upgrade?
1: We started getting more into trucks as when we started SSBC USA. Uh, But there's a lot of similarities because the classic market for a long time was basically just conversions, cast iron to cast iron. A lot of people were trying to restore those cars to be period correct. Uh, That's why we started with upgrading to a disc. We went with what we call our four-piston Kelsey Hayes. We actually have a cast iron four-piston Kelsey Hayes caliper that would allow anybody who wanted to convert. We do that for Mopar and we do that for uh, the old Fords. To keep it period correct, go with a cast iron caliper. But where the marketplace has really been going is into resto mods. So people want that option of either going period correct and upgrade a better system than the drum system or the or the disc system that was on that car. But they also want the option to go to something much more high performance. And again, the look is consistent with the thousand dollars a wheel that they're spending. And they, you know, they got these wheels that open it up. I mean, in the original conversions, you got a 15-inch wheel. You can't even see the caliper. You didn't have to make it look pretty. Uh, now everybody wants custom colors, and they want something that matches their accents. And the aesthetic is almost as important as the performance upgrade.
0: So let's take a look at that um, resto mod, that that pro touring crowd. Should it just be a given that uh, if you LS or Gen 3 Hemi or Coyote swap any old car, or even if you just significantly bump the power output of the, the original engine, should you just know going in that a brake upgrade is, is mandatory there?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely essential. Um, you know, you cannot take that much physics. I mean, just the weight difference alone changes the vehicle and, you're gonna be going a lot faster, who are you kidding? So <laughs>
0: <laughs> you certainly know our audience here. Um, so again, using a similar hypothetical, your phone rings, and the person on the other end of the line is doing an lS swap, doing a gen three Hemi swap. What is the recipe? Is there a prescribed uh, natural progression of a brake upgrade for that situation?
1: Well, we got to see where he is on the vehicle. Did he does he want to keep any of the original hydraulics? Does he want to keep the the booster, booster master cylinder? What does he want to do? And we offer various options for that. But if they come to us and say, you know, I want the best stopping force and the coolest looking calibers I get, we go to a, a billet aluminum. We check to see if the, whatever master cylinder booster he was going to use is going to work, which 99% of the time it will. And then, you know, we got to make sure he didn't change the knuckles or the AI or anything else. And do his wheel will his wheels receive a larger caliper? So we have to work with that builder to say, you know, all right, that's great, you're upgrading, but will these all work together?
0: I'm gonna to continue along that path because a big question I know the Summit Racing tech folks get on the phones concerns rear drum brake conversions. You know, if we're being honest, uh, having front discs is is a luxury for a lot of old muscle cars. You know, many left the factories as drum drum cars. But is there a point where if you have a nice quality disc brake setup up front that you can live with the, the stock drum brakes? At what point does a, a rear disc conversion become essential, I guess, is, the way, is what I'm asking.
1: Well, on the, on the classic stuff, again, you got to ask yourself, I mean, is it, is it better to upgrade from drums to discs every time? Yes, it is. The, the, car, the car will stop. The vehicle will stop better. But if you've got a, you know, a classic show car and you're driving it to weekend shows twice a year and you're trailering it half the other time and you're putting on less than 300 miles on it, it's probably not a good investment to change over, especially the rears from drum to disc. I mean, you're fine the way you are. If you like the feel of it and it's fitting for you, that's fine. But the minute you go and you expect greater performance from your acceleration and everything else and your cornering and you've changed suspension parts or gone with bigger wheels, different wheels, then you you need to understand that that drum probably is not sufficient, especially in the front.
0: You know, you got me thinking because another question that uh, I hear a lot about brake systems, particularly if you're doing a caliper swap, even if it's designed to work with the factory rotor. When you do a caliper swap, should you do it caliper rotors and pads? And more specifically, if you're just installing new pads, should you swap the rotors too? Should it be a pad and rotor swap together?
1: We would absolutely recommend that you never replace pads without replacing the rotors. People will say, all right, the pad's worn, but I still got a little bit of life left in my rotor. Should I just go with that rotor? Again, these are usually on premium vehicles and stuff. Do you really want to take that chance? That pad and that rotor, the old pad and the old ro- rotor have been bedded. They have been mated. Their Their flaws are now match and they're interlocked. You go and you put, even if it's a better pad, you go and put that on a, on a rotor that's already bedded to another pad. It's like cheating. You know, you can't do that. You're going to get caught. It's not going to have the same surface area. It's not going to have the same characteristics. And it's not going to break in properly. That's the big thing. People go and they spend a lot of money on these upgrade kits. There might be some, some DIY guys that just don't see it all the way through, or they see it all the way through, and then they just take the car and they jump on it right away, and they glaze the rotors, and they glaze the pads. And you know this all has to be done as a set. It's a system. And the system has a, a bunch of parts, some of them moving, some of them not. and They have to work together. And they kind of have to be broken in all at the same time. So we would never recommend you just slap a, a set of pads on there without addressing the rotor issue at the same time.
0: That's interesting that you mentioned that because that's a topic I wanted to address as well. Say someone does go to all this effort to, to make a significant brake upgrade. Is there anything that's, that's commonly overlooked? Like, is there a common issue that's often the result of someone overlooking a brake system component or a step in the brake upgrade process?
1: Kind of got two answers for you. Um, the rotors. I mean, everybody thinks a rotor is a rotor, you know, and there's there's a whole bunch of arguments out there whether slotting does any good and drilling does any good or if it does any harm. So rotors have kind of become a commodity and people don't think there's any difference. For instance, zinc plating your rotor, does that help you stop better? No, but what it does is it prevents rust from growing on the rotor. Rust degrades your pads faster. So that's always overlooked is the, the rotor because they're just kind of viewed as a block of iron that doesn't really do a lot. Um, the other thing that I think that is overlooked a lot is, you know when people think they're upgrading their brake kits, most of the OEM brakes are imported brakes. They're not made in the United States. And if you buy replacement OEM calipers, they're not only not made in the United States, they're imported, but they're usually remanufactured. They're not new. People think when they walk up to a countertop of a store or when they order online that they're getting new calipers. They don't even look at the fact that there's a core charge. We've come up with a bunch of fine names in the industry, remanufactured, refurbished, re-this, re-that. I mean, they are basically used calipers that have been cleaned up, new seals put on, and, and resold. And you've got this great project car or this nice truck, and not only are you not going with a better technology, you're basically going with refurbished, used, imported brakes. So as a American-made manufacturer, we, we're not fond of that.
0: That certainly is a very good point to make. Um, now, I want to talk about the nuts and bolts of a, a caliper swap or a, or a brake upgrade. When you're doing something like that, do you recommend a full brake fluid flush and refill before you bleed the system? Or can you just kind of top it off, re-bleed the system, and be good to go? Now, obviously, with one asterisk that we assume that the fluid currently in the system is in good shape and not all cloudy and gross. But again, do you recommend a full brake fluid flush and refill with every caliper swap?
1: No, we don't, we don't feel it's necessary. We're, we're not brake fluid experts, so we go by the manufacturer of the vehicle's recommendations. Uh, the one thing we definitely, definitely encourage is never mix DOT3 and DOT3, DOT4. Never, ever mix. Always put what the vehicle manufacturer recommends you do. And always make sure you got enough in there. And don't let it get on your beautiful caliper while you're bleeding.
0: <laughs> just, uh, just speaking from firsthand experience, don't let brake fluid get on anything shiny and pretty, whether it's a brake caliper or a fender, or just hypothetically speaking, a vintage Honda motorcycle gas tank. But I, I digress, because we want to get back to talking about uh, converting an old muscle car's drum brakes to, to discs. Now, I know you have to speak from the perspective of SSBC USA, but can you kind of describe what goes into a, a drum-to-disc conversion kit and maybe even discuss some other factors that that someone mulling over that swap may not consider before taking the plunge?
1: Well, we offer kits in various configurations, powered and non-powered. I mean, the first thing you need to decide well, you know, we have to size the kit, and that's why uh, companies like ours offer several solutions for these people. And believe it or not, the first question we're going to ask the person is, what knuckles are you running? Are you running factory knuckles, factory spindles? And what uh, wheels are you using? Because, again, we can't offer this beautiful fixed caliper if he's running a, a 12 or 13-inch wheel or something like that, something crazy small, or if it's that configuration that doesn't allow for a fixed caliper. So once we figure out the logistic, the the spatial issues that we want to overcome, then we talk to them about what system they're going to use. Do we need to provide a booster and a master cylinder that works in your your car with our brake system? And then we're going to ask them if they're going to have enough vacuum. Um, Do they have to add a vacuum pump? Uh, Do they need to make adapters for their brake lines? You know, this is why it was so important when we when we bought the assets of this company, not to digress, it was so important that we brought some of the, the sales guys over with us. And when we started this company, we went the first thing we did was go and get that tribal knowledge because I listen to these guys all day long on the, on the phone and, and they'll say, oh, what do you have? All right. So it's a 67 Camaro RS. And you know, we'll say, well, is it stock? And then you start getting, you have to listen to the stories. Well, my brother-in-law, and, and I, you know, when we were kids in 1983, my brother-in-law took and changed the spindles down to two inch drops and There's always a story and a history to these, these truly old classic muscle cars. There always is. And then we found some things like Ford Mustang it was made in three different plants. So you would think they're making the same car, right? But they ran the brake lines like on our drum to our rear drum to disc conversion kits. They run the brake line different, whether it was made in Texas or in uh, Detroit. So there are nuances to these cars. You can say you got a 66 Mustang, but in order for us to fully understand what you're up against, we need to know where it was made. And that's that tribal knowledge that comes in with a lot of these classic cars.
0: Okay, so I want to fast forward back up to like late model applications. And and I apologize because I know we're jumping around to a lot of different topics, but there are just so many questions that, that folks wanted me to ask during this interview. I just couldn't categorize them all in one single linear thought. But when talking about a late model application, you're probably more often than not going to have ABS, an anti-lock braking system. So say, for instance, we go back to your caliper upgrade kits. Do they play nice with ABS?
1: Absolutely. An upgrade, if done right, will work better with ABS than without you know, we do a ton of testing here. And the first thing we do is do a bunch of testing with the old system. And then we do a bunch of testing with the new system. And we can see the difference in in performance even in a very slippery situation. So you're you're really talking about two relationships here. We're talking about the relationship between the tire and the road, which is what the ABS watches. And we're talking about the relationship between the, let's call it the caliper and, and the rotor, even though the pads in the middle and that ABS is looking to pulse to stop. So if you've got an OEM caliper, the the aforementioned imported OEM caliber, uh, it's a sliding caliper first of all. So that piston has to travel twice as far as you think. It not only has to push the inside pad up against the inside of the rotor, but it's got to pull the cradle bracket in from the outside. And that all takes time. You know, you, it it doesn't sound like a lot of time, but I mean, you're talking about pulsing anywhere from what, 10 to 18 times a second in ABS. And also those calipers have a lot of flex in them. So even if you are pulsing, you're not getting the maximum force to that between the caliper onto that rotor because you've got too much deflection. You got too much travel and too much deflection. So in a fixed caliper, you've got pistons on either side. So of that rotor, so they will travel half as far. So they will react and pulse faster giving control back to the relationship between the wheel, between the tire and the pavement. Or if you're off the pavement, the tire and the, and the ice, whatever it is. So a fixed caliper that is rigid will perform better just by maximizing the attributes of the ABS system to do it.
0: You mentioned ice back there, which, which made me think of another question that I probably already know the answer to, but I'm going to ask it anyway because I'm in the mood to be surprised. Does someone's driving environment factor into their brake maintenance? Like, should someone in Alaska approach their brakes differently than, say, someone in New Mexico?
1: Absolutely. Uh, We are in Buffalo, New York, so we know a thing about snow. And the other thing about Buffalo, New York, is they use salt to treat the roads in the winter. They don't use sand, they use salt. So, again, on the OEM caliper, that is a two-piece caliper with a slide pin, two slide pins and a cradle bracket, those slide pins become non-slide pins very quickly in our conditions. So they will not slide. And one or two winners, if you're not properly maintaining your your cradle bracket, your slide pins, greasing them properly, it will start to hang up, which will wear your outer pad, lead to premature death of your pad, digging into your rotor and you'll get imbalances and and it won't happen evenly. It won't happen the same on the left as it does on the right because they don't see the same stuff identically. So you'll, your vehicles start pulling. So absolutely. We also, if it's going to be a dusty environment, like we just were about to release full hearted in our JKs and our JLs, uh, we went with a, a double seal. We have a dust seal instead of a boot. We have a dust seal because we know people are going to ab- be abusing Jeeps. That's what they're, they're made for. They're going to be driving. We actually call the new series the Moab series. So it's an M6 Moab series because we wanted to design a caliper that could handle Moab. The dust and the dirt and the, and the rain and the mud and everything else that happens out there.
0: And speaking as an Ohio resident, um, I just got a shiver when you mentioned road salt. But uh, we've been talking for for almost 30 minutes now. Is there anything in particular you want to talk about?
1: Um, I do want to do one thing real quick. I want to give a shout out to a friend of mine that helped me prepare for this meeting. Uh, he's been in the brake industry for 40 years. His name is Griff Jordan. He works for a company called PowerStop. So I caught him on the phone for about an hour and a half the other day, kind of going over my responses. And Grift helped me uh, bring those into something that made some sense. So, you know, brakes are, are a personal preference. Again, your OEM brakes will stop your car. That's great. But, you know, the automotive industry is under a lot of cost pressure and a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of cushion. There's not a lot of bandwidth to maintain the performance of your OEM brakes as if they're new. And again, once you get that car set up and and broken in your car or truck, that system is only gonna degrade from that point forward. So I think when you have a vehicle, you should go in with a master plan. Let's use trucks, because that's what my expertise is here is trucks. If you're gonna be using this as your daily driver, your OEM brake, you know, take a half ton. If you're gonna be using it, your daily driving brakes are probably gonna be fine. Your first upgrade should probably be better pads and rotors, but the calipers may be fine for the life of that truck. But if you've got a three-quarter, one-ton truck, and you're going to be using that to haul the skid steer, and you're going to be driving it in the winter, you take your OEM brakes, and at 20,000 miles, you're probably going to start to have major major issues stopping. There's probably going to be a drastic fall-off in the performance. Then you should come up with a strategy. We like the people that are going to keep the vehicles for a long time because they understand the value of spending a little bit more on an upgrade. I mean, you don't just, if you go and you upgrade and you get a better rotor and better calipers and better pads, you're not only going to stop better, but it's going to last longer and it's going to serve your your needs better. And it's not to use the buzzword, but it's safer. We get testimonials all the time from people who can't believe that their trucks stopped faster than one guy gave an example of. He was next to a Subaru. Somebody pulled out in front of both of them. He uh, he had a nine thousand pound truck. He stopped. The Subaru didn't stop and it hit the person that pulled out in front of him. And the guy sent us a beautiful testimonial about our brakes. I mean, we live for that stuff. It sounds a little bit corny, but you know, safety is obviously the most important thing. So we need to have a strategy for your vehicle. And you know, budget obviously is kind of into that. But if you plan this stuff up front, you know, you don't wait too long to replace components. And when you do replace components figure out why the other components weren't sufficient if you've got wear on the inside of your on your inside pad and not your outside there's something wrong so don't just tear this stuff off if you go to put new stuff on figure out what happened and then maybe you got to change brake lines maybe you got to change pad clips maybe you got to change some other things we design our systems so that the average backyard mechanic can put our stuff in no problem if they take their time If following the instructions, you know we don't want you to have to take a you know a relatively expensive brake kit and pay someone else to put it on there. So there are a lot of options out there for what you would call upgrades, as simple as buying better pads, all the way up to spending eight nine thousand dollars on a new brake system for your for your vehicle. Pick the one that works for you. You know we always recommend that you try to buy American. We are very proud of the fact that we are one of the few if if any, people doing what we do in the United States. And we, we take great pride in that.
0: Now, speaking of, of your manufacturing, um, you alluded to your your Moab series uh, calipers for the Jeeps coming up. Do you have any other new products coming down the pipe that you can tell us about?
1: Well, the, the Moab series will be a six-piston front and four-piston rear. And the rear comes with an upgraded rotor. We actually do not like the stock JK and JL rear rotor. It's a solid chintzy rotor. And the biggest complaint from people we've heard with Jeeps is when they're coming down a hill, they can't stop the vehicle. And it's not the tire that's sliding, it's the rotor and the pad that's sliding. Um, so we're going much bigger on the brakes on those. We are just coming out of what I would call startup phase. This is year four for this company. I would not recommend that anybody start a new company during a pandemic. It's probably not a good business idea, um, but we did and we survived, and This would be the first year that I would say we are thriving. It was a really good year for us. We turned the corner. Um, You know, we had the supply chain issues in 21 and 22. We pushed past those. 23 has been a very good year for us. We just started really getting back into releasing new products. The Jeep will be our first significant new product in a while. Uh, we are also announcing at SEMA that we have rounded up all of our years for our three-quarter one-ton Barbarians and our half-ton our half-ton Brawlers to include 23 and 24 Ford, Ram, GMC, Chevy, and uh, Ford. But we really, based on the voice of the customer, we are going to continue to take a lot of our drum-to-disk conversion kits and caliber upgrades for Classics and offer more mod style upgrades. That's one place we're going. Mostly featuring what we call our four-piston comp caliper, which is a great, lightweight, relatively inexpensive caliper upgrade kit. Uh, We get a lot of customer calls for challengers, chargers, and, yeah, late-model muscle. Cars that have 500, 600 horsepower motor and two-piston front caliper sliding calipers. They got all the horsepower, but they didn't get the stopping power.
0: (laughs) You know, I'm glad you brought that up because you look at some of these factory options packages and it's almost like they're charging you an extra, extra premium to be able to stop the car you just bought. But we're getting close to wrapping up here. And so I I wanted to ask if folks are out there listening and want to get in contact with you, want to tap into that tribal knowledge that you alluded to, to maybe solve a particular problem they're having or basically talk through a a brake upgrade. How do they get in contact with you with tech questions?
1: Well, we have a, a nice website, ssbc-usa.com. They can reach out to us through that. They can give us a call at our at our factory. It's 716-775-6700. It's a digital world. We can take texts. We can take anything. Our guys are a little bit older sales guys. They love having conversations. I recommend you pick up the phone. You'll learn something and we'll learn something. Uh, or you can come and visit us at SEMA.
0: Uh, That's good to hear because a lot of brake issues, a lot of automotive issues in general, uh, just there's so many nuances and so many different factors to consider. Um, Being able to talk it through with like a real human being is is extraordinarily beneficial. We're about ready to wrap up. So do you have any closing thoughts, uh, any closing wisdom you'd like to impart uh, upon our listeners before we uh, say goodbye?
1: Like anything else, brakes are a critical component. I don't understand why they're often the last thing people think about, but that's okay. You know, nobody brags about, you know, I can stop 60 to zero in 35 feet, but they'll talk about, you know, zero to 60 in 3.1 seconds. I love the, the new electric car guys. They talk about how fast that thing goes and how it hits the line. The next word's out, but I can't stop it. I mean, you know, it's always an afterthought. We're okay with that because, you know, it leads to more business for us, but uh, don't wait too long. You know, brakes are the most important system in your car. And people kind of take them for granted. You don't have to, you know, give an arm and a leg if you don't want to. But if you if that's what you need and that's best for you long term, lots of good solutions out there for you.
0: And with that, I think we got to put the brakes on this episode. Uh, We've been talking with Tom Reed, president and CEO of the SSBC USA Brake Company. Learning an awful lot. I mean, we talked about everything from from late model ABS applications to to classic muscle cars. So call that a good day. Uh, Tom, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. And uh, I hope our paths cross again soon. Well, thank you very much. This has been the On All Cylinders podcast. Powered
1: by Summit Racing.
0: Check out new episodes coming soon at onallcylinders.com. onallcylinders.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.